Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatail. Today, I have a very special guest, the CEO of a company called OneCloud that offers a disruptive solution for companies that employ cloud infrastructure. The platform controls corporate infrastructure as a service spending before it happens, enabling businesses to cut this expense up to half reclaim control of their IT budget, and actually help teams work smarter. He's originally from the champagne capital of the world, Rans in France. He's a very international San Francisco local. He's a serial entrepreneur who's built fast-growing companies with clients and teams in North and South America, Europe, China, and India. He champions borderless innovation. It is my pleasure to introduce the one and only Eric Didier. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure having you. So, so tell me a little bit about France. So uh, I know France is known for its wines or its love of wine. So tell me a little bit about that. Uh, that's true that uh, France is uh, usually better known for cheese, wine, and love. Uh, <laughs> but that's also true that we're a great country of engineers, perhaps a little bit too much techy somewhere. Uh, which means that we sometimes forget to sell and market what we do. So great engineers, but you've got now plenty of businesses and, uh, that, that has been growing from France so with a, a lot of interesting things from, from the technology, from uh, all the different science. So France is, is an amazing country to live, even if I'm based in San Francisco, because when it goes to SaaS software and cloud, that's really the place to be. Yeah, I, I imagine it is. So... So how did you end up in San Francisco? Um, in fact, twice uh, I've built several companies, uh, five total, three of them were not mine and two of them uh, were mine. And for the two latest one, I sold these to uh, American companies. That's how I arrived. You know, usually when you sell your company, you've got to stay for a while to pass the baton. So I landed uh, once in uh, Washington DC, then uh, again in uh, Boston. And then we decided with um, my wife and kids that it would be fun to try the West Coast. Uh, even if it's nine hours of time difference with France, um, it's a nice place to live for both education, culture, and, and for sure for startups. And so we decided to try uh, California. We felt in love and uh, we're in California. We've been here for the last uh, almost seven years. Really nice. I actually, I've been to the West Coast. I've been to San Francisco. I loved it there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you love the price of the house too. Yeah, well, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm kind of used to that. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, Eric, um, you know, once again, welcome to Ask the CEO. I appreciate you being here. So tell me a little bit about OneCloud and, and uh, the solutions that it offers. So the, the OneCloud, one to make a, a long story short, after selling my previous companies, I've been helping large companies to grow their business and also to jump on new technologies. And, and so some traditional company went on the cloud, uh, cloud as an infrastructure. I'm, I'm not talking about the cloud like licenses, like SaaS software, much more, you know, the replacing a data center by your, by your cloud infrastructure. And then I discovered with uh, the, the guy I've been working with uh, on my previous company, uh, a CTO that uh, that I've been working with over the last almost six, seven years, uh, we discovered that not only the cloud is very expensive, but that honestly may be the price to pay for the flexibility because uh, with the cloud, you can run or, or, or 
create, I don't know, a new country. You can create a new software and launch it within hours, where it used to be months or, or years. Recall, uh, I would say up to five, six years ago, when you wanted to launch a new country, you had almost to make a new fundraising and to schedule perhaps six months ahead. When you look at Netflix recently, they have been launching recently one year ago, I think they have been launching something like 60 countries in one day. So that, that's very, very flexible and that may be the price to pay. Um, but what is the most strange on the cloud is that it's completely unpredictable in terms of cost. So being expensive, that's one thing. But not knowing month after month, quarter after quarter, what is really being going to be your spend is something which is very, very strange. So I queried, I came back to a network of CFOs that I know well, and I asked almost 50 of them and told them, hey, by the way, you face the same issue. Is it a question of cost or a question of being unpredictable? And they said, no, now the cost of AWS, the cost of the cloud is really a board issue because sometimes we've got discrepancy that are from 15, 1.5 to 50% of what we did forecast. That's really incredible. Yeah. So I checked a little bit, and, and in fact, when you look at the reason for that, it's just because on the cloud, you've got no procurement mechanism. The company has always built procurement mechanism. You, you've got a team of 10 people to do something. If you want um, two or three additional engineers, you are going to to, have to, 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 to request your boss for additional resources, it's going to be a yes or no, you are going to negotiate the deadline. For the cloud, that's pretty easy. As soon as you've got the AWS or the Amazon keys, you just enter them and exactly like on your real Amazon accounts, is if your credit card is still valid, you can buy whatever you want. So the beauty of the cloud is that it's an open bar or an all-you-can-eat buffet strategy that leads to very, very strange invoices. And that's how we decided to fix that. I, I like the way you say that because, you know, one thing that infrastructure as a service is different than, let's say, some of the other, the other services like unified communications as a service, which is a fixed yeah. cost. You buy 10 seats and you're paying X amount per yeah. seat and that's what your cost is. With infrastructure of a service, I, I know you're paying th for things like hours, compute hours, and storage, yeah. uh, storage hours, and things like that. For well, everything, and, and on the top of that, you ask uh, engineers to be in charge of something which is called uh, budget or money or, or quota, where it's absolutely not their jobs. So if an engineer needs a cluster, let's say a group of 10 machines, which is going to cost, let's say, $10,000 per day, if he needs that, he's going to launch it. And if it's, I don't know, Friday 4, he's going to keep them running over the weekend. And perhaps if it's a long weekend, but the coming one, um, it will be three days for nothing. But you can't blame the engineer for not having think, uh, thought about budget issues. He's thinking about technical issues. It works. He's doing his job, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's a big, you know, you bring up a good point. So my background, I used to be a software programmer, so I could totally relate to what you're saying. If we're working on a deadline and we're writing this uh, piece of software code and we want it to run over the weekend, we're not thinking, oh, if we let it run over the weekend, that's going to blow our budget by X number of dollars. So that's now you're adding job, overhead yeah. to your engineers. And I've got um, a, a French, not joke, but a, a, a French 
reason to explain that. For example, uh, recently, recently, one year ago, um, one of our engineers wanted to make a, what is called a map reduce, um, which is a, a sort of parallel calculation in a pre-prod environment. So to test a parallel, you need at least two machines. If not, it's not parallel. So he launched something, uh, what is called a map reduce, and two large machines. Unfortunately, in France, um, the comma replaces the points and vice versa, which means that he had in his parameter something, please launch 2.000 machines, replaced by a comma, which means that he did launch <laughs> 2,000 machines. That cost me something like $50,000 just for a typo in a line of code, but the beauty of the cloud. But you got excellent results, right? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the keyboards in, in France are different, right? So if you, if you replace a comma with a, with a period with a comma, yeah, that's, that's a big budget. Uh, yeah, so you've got plenty of stories like that. And also, uh, you know, uh, so, um, Amazon keys that, that leaks in, in GitHub directories, uh, repositories, sorry. And then people, um, people tell a lot of things. So you've got the security issue, but I think the, the key issue in the cloud is much more um, the... the asking the people to really be on the top of the cost, which is accountability. And you can't ask an engineer to be accountable on the cost. He can be accountable on the quality of the code or everything, but it's not his role. He used to have a, a sandbox, which was his, the machine he was able to play with. Uh, now you can't ask him that. And that's what we have decided to solve with OneCloud. Mm, gotcha. That really drives home the solution that you yeah. offer. And so we, we, have, we have tested what did exist at this time. You've got perhaps, uh, let's say, uh, five, six uh, large solutions that control, between quotes, um, the, the cost of the cloud. Uh, but in fact, what we discovered is that what all these solutions uh, are just doing, they wait for AWS to issue the invoice. It's a little bit more complex than that because Amazon can dump it in a, in a specific uh, drive called an S3 bucket, but whatever. They wait for that, and after they make nice pie charts, which means that exactly like um, a controller in a company, you wait for the budget, and after you present the budget by realigning some data in your Excel spreadsheet and doing, doing pie charts, which is fun, that, that works. But the, the pie chart just tells you the truth, which means, oh, again, you have been overspending. That's it. The spreadsheet is not going to prevent you to overspend. So we said to, to all the CFOs of our network, what about finding a dream, a dream solution that would really solve the issue, which means prevent overspend before it occurs. And because I love one of the film, uh, which is called Minority Report, you recall, you know, the precogs in the swimming pool, right? Uh, and Minority Report, you've got some strange people called precogs uh, swimming in the swimming pool. And thanks to their brain, they can inform the police that a crime is about to happen. That's why we did develop for one cloud. That's <laughs> <laughs> a joke. It's called predictive analysis, if you want to use the math term. But that's exactly what we do, which means that we analyze all what the engineers are about to do and start to do. And then we act as a proxy, to use an IT term, but which means we, we really catch the, all the requests from the engineer uh, from the engineers real time. We compare this request to a budget mechanism that we put in place via project, which means we recreate project exactly like in a company. Any engineer, any product owner always talk about project. We create project, 
One cloud is going to allocate all the machine to the right project. We decide on a budget, can be done by the project owner, the CFO, whoever. And after, one cloud is doing the magic, which means checking what is about to happen and catch any request and then either say yes, no, or pair up yes if, if the request is, is okay compared to the budget, no if it's not okay, and pair up, which means you've got to ask to your boss. And because we love accountability, if a boss has got three projects, before conveying bad news to the next level, is going to balance the budget between the, the three projects, exactly like if you have, let's say, 30 engineers on three projects. If a project needs more engineers, it's going to, to, to poach two or three engineers from another project, but he's going to balance his own business first before conveying bad news to the management. So we just clone the normal behavior with plenty of smart things behind the scene to make the life smooth, which means we are really, really far away from the simple reporting tools, right? Gotcha, gotcha. So you have some kind of predictive analysis that uses an algorithm based on past behaviors. Yeah. And then predicts or projects what kind of requests will be made in the future. Gotcha. In fact, that, that's based on, on two things. That based on um, the past behavior, we will uh, implement soon also the seasonality per company and per market. Let's imagine you, you, you make specific algorithm for all the e-commerce websites. You can, by comparing, by benchmarking the overall industry, decide and help the customer to understand what is going to be the average overspend during Black Friday, right? Because by definition, all the e-commerce, but some exceptions, uh, the ones selling only Christmas trees, for example, they may need to wait a little bit more than Black Friday. Um, but usually the, the, all, all the same, let's say the, the same market behave the same. So we will add that. As of today, that's much more based on the previous months and also based on all the price list of AWS, which means we, we know upfront the price list, which means that somebody is starting to create a cluster of specific machine using whatever algorithm. We know upfront the price list, so we can really project it over the next few minutes, hour of days. So that's also the basic of understanding how much is going to cost rather than just waiting for Amazon to tell us, hey, by the way, you, you did spend that. So that's a combination of anticipating the cost by a, a very fine analysis of the cost and the overall price list of Amazon plus a behavioral analysis based on the past. Uh, now this price list, is that a real-time list or is that something that Amazon publishes from time to time? So it's both. Uh, Amazon publishes, um, Amazon has got perhaps 100 plus uh, different services. But um, one of the service, uh, several of the service, you know upfront what is going to be the cost. For example, you want a specific server attached with a certain number of processors and memory, you know the price upfront. It can be tricky because the price depends also on the location, sometimes on, um, on the, the time if you use what is called spot instances, and it also depends on um, some specific agreement you can have to, with Amazon, like something called reservation. So you can, you can grab all of that thanks to some APIs and you can predict that easily. For some other services like um, storage, which is usually called S3 at Amazon, that's a combination of the total size of the storage you think you are going to have and then the day-to-day or the minute-by-minute 
um, use of this storage. So in this case, you've got to do it not real time, but minutes after minutes to see the ramp. You've got a fantastic example, for example, the company who are logging everything, you know, with the log stash or whatever, the, the software, you can log everything, but you can really use a huge amount of data. But you just have to follow that and, and, and use specific services either that we did build or that, or that we connect to Amazon to see the ramp and again project what it's about to be and before having the logs uh, being a huge amount of gigabytes something and put the right alert to everyone telling, hey, you may have an issue because uh, honestly, um, 50 gigabytes per minute is perhaps a little bit too much. Gotcha, gotcha. So this platform, right? How simple is it for a customer to install? So the, when we built it, uh, we had something um, in mind, which was trying to uh, be the best friends of both the engineers and the financial team, including when I'm talking about engineers, also SysOps DevOps guys. So for the engineers, we have tried to not bother them with money or things like that and make their life as easy as possible which means that, for example, when you implement one cloud, you've got almost no change to do in your code. So most of the engineers are using either API or the key, you know, the command line. So they don't really care on the beauty or not of the, of the platform. They don't really bother about the ease of use because what they need is a specific key that is going to fit their needs and having alerts. So for them, we have built much more a connection to their existing ecosystem. No change on the, on the code they write, connection with Slack, uh, being able to, to receive alert either via Slack or email, and being compliant with all what they usually use, which means all the Puppet, all the Kubernetes, all this stuff like that, all the ecosystem of a deployment who are compliant with no change. So for them, that fits with one thing, which is please let me do my job I agree to receive a notification telling, hey, I need to stop your machine because it's too much. I do not want to change my habits. So I think that for that, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a lot of things behind the scene, but that's something that please engineers and CSOPs DevOps. For the much more financial guys, we have tried to create a platform that fits with the habits. So it's uh, somewhere a little bit of uh, things like business subject, you know, reporting tools, but also, we, we help them to think project and to think or short. Usually when you go on the Amazon um, uh, console, which is the, the, the command control of Amazon, or when you look at some existing BI software, they, they, they always talk in terms of uh, tags, in terms of machine names, in terms of things like that. For a financial or project manager, that means nothing. You don't care the name of the machine. You're talking about the project XYZ. You're talking about uh, the sub-project called uh, whatever your naming convention, uh, Odysseus, Amadeus, or whatever. So we have built that, which means you really build within one cloud the very easy way. Your chart, not the official one, but the chart of responsibilities, which means who is in charge of these three projects, who is in charge of these two project leaders, who is the boss of the R&D department, which means anybody who's got something to tell or, or, or money to allocate to people. So you do that graphically, which means you are going to create your chart the best way, like, like any nice software, or like Visio or whatever, but you do it online. And then when it goes to building budget, we try also to behave like what 
project leaders and um, product, project manager and CFO likes, which means we are much, much more in a sort of Excel-like, you just have a line of budget and you can add that and it calculates all the budget of everyone. And when it goes to reporting, you've got the view for the technical guys and for the financial guys. The financial guy is going to be trend, RAM, day-to-day analysis. They can decide on the, on the period, you know, because sometimes they think months, sometimes, sometimes they think quarter. So they do all of that. And from the technical people, that's much more drilling down, being able to go up to the name of the machine, up to go, going to the name of the country where the machine is hosted, to be sure that everyone has got the right view. And we have built this software both with a team of people who really understand how project management and finance works, and on the other end, how complex uh, IT mechanism works, because we are no child. What we build behind the scene is pretty complex. So we try to really make it fit with the right profile, which is usually the, a great recipe for success in a company. If not, people fight together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If it's planned correctly, it will go in successfully. Finger crossed. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so if I understand what, what you're saying is basically that there's a lot of intensive planning that goes on in the front end before, before the solution is deployed, which makes a lot of sense based yes. on the different roles that, uh, that will be interfacing with your solution. We try to grab also all what the people have been trying to, to do, which means when we discover the first time uh, you know, we've got some configuration where people have got more than 5,000 services up and running. And also services that in the past, they have switched on and switched off, which means we've got a, a, a huge legacy. And we try to do it to help them the best way as possible. For example, if they have created tags historically and these tags exist, um, we are going to create for them project with the name of the tag and pre-arrange all the services in a project name like the tag because that's certainly maybe the way they wanted to work in the past. So we try to preempt, we try to pre-arrange things to make them as easy as possible. If you enter, for example, several master keys to discover your configuration, and this means that these keys are belong to some accounts who are going under the main account, which is, the, let's say, the head, head of the say the CEO or the CFO, below we are already going to create groups with the name of the account because it may certainly be either different regions for them, region sales region, not, not Amazon region, or perhaps different projects. There may be a, a, the legacy project and the new project. So we can, we try to prearrange everything. And when we learn that, when we see that people are rearranging the, the services per project, we try to recall the tag using the sort of tag matching mechanism. So the next time a machine will be discovered that reflect the, the pattern we did find, we're going to allocate it to the right project. So do we try again to make their life easy rather than having to, to do again and again the same things. It's not perfect because you've got no choice. Sometimes, you know, we, we recently had a customer, zero tag, 2,000 uh, different machines, absolutely no information. So they had no other choice that by hand, reclassify the machine one by one. But that's the same, right? right? If you have not been rearranging your personal tax document for five years, one day or another, you will have to, to block a full week of vacation before the IRS comes at your house and asks you for a lot of details, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And my background is communication. So I'm familiar with the process of installing phone systems and mm -hmm. contact centers. And many times for the, the larger the customer, the more extensive the planning is. And we've gone in with spreadsheets and, yeah. and uh, documented every component of uh, what their business does in order to get it right. So I can, I can definitely understand when you're dealing with the scale of thousands of virtual workstations, you need to classify that correctly. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the beauty of OneCloud is when it's done once, you do not have to do it again because the mechanism we use for projecting the cost is based on understanding the people and the team, which means that as soon we understand and it's validated by the customer that a dedicated person is working on project A, each time he or she is going to use the key, is going to be automatically allocated to the right project. So you do not have, you, you have to teach somewhere at OneCloud the first time, but after, thanks to the, the mechanism of, of patterns and keys, it directly goes to the right bucket of cost, which means against the developer, again, the, the developer uh, don't think we're playing full with them because with um, the existing mechanism, the existing BI or reporting only solution, for example, imagine you ask your developers, you are going to tag your 5,000 machines once. Sorry, it's going to take each of you several days. I want to put a tag name, project A, project B, project C on all your machines. First of all, they hate you, but when it's done, they say, okay, it's done. So you've got your reporting mechanism for the traditional solution that exists in the field today. And then somebody comes by, uh, let's say one or two months after telling you, hey, good news, now, the company has grown a little bit, so we no longer have 5,000 machines, but 10,000. But we would like to organize the machines per sales region. We'd like to know the machines that are dedicated to EMEA, to China, and to uh, South America and North America. I'm not talking about physical region. I'm, I'm talking about financial regions. And then you ask your developers to tag again 10,000 machines just to please the CFO boss. The answer is usually no way. Or they make it bad, or they ask... They, they ask their, their boss, CFO or CTO or VP of engineering to ask the CFO to say no. And, and that makes sense. They are not paid in their mind to do such a, a strange um, accounting job or, or I, I would say librarian, librarian job, right? But unfortunately, when, when you use standard solution just BI that are just based on, on tags, you've got no choice. So usually it works a little bit, but at the end, you've got information which is not accurate or you've got information which is not too concise, not enough precise to really make the right thing. So that's why, again, what I try to think upfront and try to make the right thing directly the, the, the good way by, by learning how you allocate things to project to be sure you, you do not have to replay two or three times the boring part of your job. So by, by doing this learning, right, mm -hmm. uh, if an organization were to scale, so let's take your example where they had 5,000 machines and now each department doubled, doubled mm -hmm. their machines. So are you saying that you don't have to go through this tagging process again? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you do the thing the right way, which means if you double, it can be for two reasons, either your number of customers increase and but the, your, your, your organization remains the same, that's great or you have decided to split a software between the light version and the pro version, for example, which means you have split your 
virtual data center, which is your cloud things. You just create a new project in one cloud. You just reallocate the keys to the different users and then magically is going to allocate the, the resources, which means also uh, control the resources and control up from the specs on the new thing, which means nothing needs to be done, just deciding the name of the project, which is really an existing one within the company, so that's not too, too tough to know the name, reallocating the machine, just the one you need, and telling the developers, now you've got perhaps two projects, which means two keys. Are you no longer with project B, but you are with project A? And then it's going to, 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 to switch all, all the costs and it's going to be okay, which means you can, imagine you've got a nice org chart and you decided that somebody at the bottom of the org chart become key and now report to the CTO, which means it jumps three or four levels in the org chart. All these costs are going to be automatically reaffected. This former boss who is no longer being in charge of the budget, all is going to be recalculating. You ask to do that with time. Usually you've got two or three, three sites and a dozen of resignations. <laughs> gotcha. So talking about resignations, right? So if, if uh, I'm working with a team of developers and we had some turnover in the organization, so at six developers, lost six developers, got six new developers. How does that affect um, the learning algorithm or, or um, the, the process uh, with OneCloud? In fact, what we've done is that at the beginning, it was based just on the name of the people or the developers. And now everything is based on teams, even team of one, which means that, for example, somebody resigned as a project leader, it means that we may have a North fan which doesn't make sense because an orphan cannot decide on the budget. That's temporarily the boss of the orphan who's going to decide how to handle the budget. So in this case, you just merge and you take either somebody else or, 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 you, or, or the boss, you merge him or her in the former um, node, if you want, on the org chart. You say, here is now somebody working to replace you or on behalf of you. So you just drag and drop the right person at the right place which is exactly what you do again in a company telling, okay, you resign, who's going to take temporarily his job or her job because we need somebody you can't have in an org chart, you can't have a single term, right? And then you just do that graphically and again, all the different process, authorization, uh, quota, um, budget drop at the, at the right person. And a project, it's always a team with a team leader. So you can, it can be a team of one, but a project, you can have as many developers as you, as you want. So the project will still be alive. And each time somebody leaves or somebody arrives, if he leaves, it means that the specific set of keys he was allowed to work are going to be canceled, which means from a security reason, it really means that you will no longer have spent coming from this person, which is key, because sometimes you've got plenty of floating keys in the companies where well, you don't really know who has been spending what, but uh, you know you've got spend, but it belongs to a person with either a fake name, John Do, or a person who is no longer there. That no longer exists. You've got all the dashboard telling in, out, project life, project uh, dead. Even if you imagine, imagine your organization is based on client and, and what, what I call project, you call that client. If a client is no longer a client, you just deactivate this project called the client A, in, in, in uh, one cloud, and then magically all the machine linked or machine services, whatever linked to that are going to shut down, they, they will ask that for you, and which means that immediately you've got no more cost allocated to this cost, to, to, to this project, 
which is fun because when you make an analysis of, of most of our customer prospects, usually they've got on the, on the money they spend, they usually have between 50, but the 15, but the worst is usually 50% of, of costs, which is not, which should not be there. And half of these costs are unused mechanism, which means unused services. Dead um, machine CPUs, dead um, storage, that means to nothing. And the reason is that, uh, you know, it's used to work, but exactly like in your personal hard drive or, uh, or external high drive, until it's full, you don't care. And when it's full, you start making some cleaning, right? Yeah, exactly. But when you don't pay and you can have as many as hard drive as you want, why would you spend time in cleaning um, the 1,000 picture of your tools that you took one day just because it was fun, right? Yeah, but when it starts costing real money, now all of a sudden it's a concern. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow, this is really fascinating. So tell me, Eric, um, uh, do you have any examples of uh, some customers that, that you saved some real significant money on? Um, I've got an example. Uh, I'm not going to name the customer because the, the problem is exactly when you sell insurance, right? If you name somebody who had a big issue, that's not very polite for the person. Yeah. But there is a company which is a, 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 it's an open source project and behind there is a commercial company of a very, very large um, big data project. They spent uh, 7 million roughly per year, a little bit more, 7.1 million per year. Um, in, in the cloud just with AWS Amazon. And they discovered that 1.9 million was machine belonging to customers that were no longer customers, which means it was cluster of, of, of server that has been built for a trial for three months, six months, but never stopped. 1.9 and 1.4 million were machines that were used below 15, 20% of the real needs of the application. So the machine were oversized by time five, because 20% of, of 100%. So just by implementing um, uh, the, the, that's the half, right, right there. That's, yeah, that's in fact, that's 47% 47 to be precise. And which is funny that uh, in this case, that's not, <laughs> It's much more helping the people to just do the thing the right way. That, that, was, that was not an approach of cascading, like, you know, when you say we're spending too much, we're going to fire half of the people. That was just doing the thing the right way. Nobody has nothing against stopping the machine that were not used. The question is, what are they? Where are they? Because the machine, when you look at, oh, I say machine, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a CPU somewhere with specific name, which means much more EC2 to use the, the, the term AWS. Uh, that was machine that were called uh, AGKE0072. That means to nothing, right? So uh, either you can use the standard IT mechanism, which is always a joke, which means when you don't know who's using a server, you unplug it and wake your phone to, so to ring, right? When Wait for someone to scream. <laughs> we have all done that, right? <laughs> but when you are in production, that may be a bad idea. Or you do it a smarter way, you classify everything. And when it's done, you know what you can shut down. Gotcha. I really love the way, the way your solution is set up using the org chart as the blueprint for, um, for the spending model. I, I don't, I, I understand technically speaking, but I don't understand why in the past, which is up to five years ago, everything was always based on 
resources, authorization, somewhere behind the scene money. You know, even when you run a team, you've got to provision their personal phone, you've got to talk to HR for their salary, you've got to find offices, you've got to find the, the, the right people and if you need to buy software, you buy it. I don't understand why with the cloud that the only thing which is allowed to live by itself, grow like the entropy of the second principle, right? Always grow, only grow <laughs> um, without any control. From a technical standpoint, I understand. From an overall management standpoint, and we are not taking about a small amount of money when you look at the at the report of Snapchat, you know, the report they published before going public, they said in the report that they are about over the next two to three years to spend 400 million on Azure, if I correctly call Azure or Google Cloud. One of the, one of, I think it's Google Cloud. And a little bit later, and they will all also spend 400 million on AWS. So we're talking about almost a small billion over the next two to three years. You know, imagine if they can save half. I'm sure they are, they are well organized and they are much more in the bracket, perhaps 20% and not, but 20% of three million, that can pay a nice vacation, right? Yeah. <laughs> you could go back to France for that money. I can buy France, you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, Eric, um, is your company um, based on AWS or do you have plans for the other providers like Google and Microsoft? So the, we have built the software on Docker and on non-AWS technologies, which means that uh, OneCloud, has a, even if it's a SaaS software, we run it, uh, but OneCloud can run on any kind of software. That was also a good way to, to be sure we are independent and that we know well the other clouds. And we are going to port a piece of OneCloud within the next month on Azure and perhaps also Google Cloud, just to be sure we've got internally a, a strong expertise on how all the different API behaves. And you know that the cloud, are, the technology is going very, very fast. Yeah. Which means that all our API that drive, that, that makes OneCloud works, is completely agnostic in terms of cloud. We can even uh, run that on, on a cloud like OpenStack, which means uh, you know much more private cloud. After the mechanism of intercepting uh, the call to AWS, what we call the one-to-one -one API, in fact, and catching that in design, and also the price list is provider-specific. So today we have just implemented AWS because it was the, the, the one which is the, the most used. But over the next few months, we are going to support the three other one, which is Google Cloud, Azure, and OpenStack. The order is not disclosed yet. I don't know if it will be Azure or, or Google first. It also depends on our client requests because, because honestly, we need to stick to the client need and there is a war between the three large providers. Everybody agree that AWS is the first one, the two other one both claim to be second, right? Yeah. So I don't know what will be the one. And sometime also, it's no longer the case, but up to one month and a half ago, Google did not support tags, which means that for most of the people that were using Google, even a tag approach, which was better than nothing, didn't work. Now they implemented the tag. So which means that up to a few weeks ago, I would have decided to do Google first because it's such a huge black box for the customers that it was the way to go. After we leave the Azure or Google, and I see that's a question of resources. But we are in the middle of a, of a, of a round of financing like any startup in the Valley, and uh, that will help having the right resources to implement perhaps parallel the other cloud. 
And I trust, I, I do believe that most of the large company will be multi-cloud. When you look at Snapchat, they said, I think it's Google, I, I should recall that. I think they said that it's 400 million on Google, uh, but in fact, it's also 400 million on AWS. And the reason for which most of the company are multi-cloud are two key reasons. Sometimes it's an acquisition, which means they have been acquiring somebody which is on another cloud, so no choice. Um, and the second one also is that as of today, most of the cloud uh, have promoted their own API, which means that when you have coded everything without the, the filter of something like a Docker or container machine, a container mechanism, then you, are, you really have to stick to the application you have been using the, the API from. So if luckily your, uh, your application is, is more, I would say is enough new or recent enough to use a containerization mechanism, then that, that's okay, you can port it anywhere. And I think the world is going, is going toward this direction. You can't, you can't rely on one provider of cloud only if you want to keep your financial independence, right? So I mean, mechanism a little bit like back in 30, 40 years ago when BIOS was invented to be the layer between uh, the OS and the physical devices and not having to take your um, you know, a physical tool to install the, the drivers on the, on the motherboard, right? I love that example because that really drives home what, it, what you're doing here. So you're basically becoming provider agnostic, which really sets you up for success in the long run, because even if one of the providers, you know, stops, stops supporting the cloud or goes out of business, hmm? you're, still, you're still able to support your customers on the other platforms. Yeah, and that's also why uh, we want to be um, compliant also with private cloud. Because honestly, today, I don't know about Azure and, um, and Google, I'm not sure it's disclosed, but everybody knows that the, the, the profit of the Amazon group primarily comes from the profit of the cloud. It was not true a few, few years ago, but um, the, even if the e-commerce side, which is the, from far the biggest e-commerce website uh, on, on earth, right, and perhaps somewhere else, um, they are not doing a lot of profit because they always broke. But for the overall profit of, AW, of uh, Amazon, it all comes from AWS, which means they made something last year, if I correctly recall, 11 or 12 billion. It's not official, the margin they make, but everybody knows it's between 30 and 50, right? So, and for that, you've got plenty of advantage. You do not have to handle the security. You do not have to, you, you no longer need CSOPs. That, that's great, blah, 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 but you still give them a 50% margin. <laughs> yes. so, which means that uh, all the companies, when they're growing very, very fast, any public cloud makes sense. When you want to invest in other countries, when you want to test new things, when you want to move, a, even for large companies like bank and insurance, you want to come from a, a non-premise model to having something very flexible. Uh, all your clients want to see their insurance contract online. All of that is great. The cloud is great. But when you are stable, when you are no longer growing, does it make sense to still use the cloud? Or the answer is yes, from a mechanism of scripting, of coding, but from a, a mechanism of margin, it's better to have your own servers hosted that behave like the cloud, so you do not change the habit of your engineers, but you save a huge part of the, of the margin of the cloud, of the public cloud providers. Which means that, the, and I had a recent post recently on the blog, um, I think the world is going toward having a, a, a balance 
between public and private cloud. The public will be just for all, all the project companies, whatever, who are growing fast or decreasing fast. And when it's stable, you will have, I don't know, two thirds, half or whatever of, of your infrastructure that you will own. I don't know if it's own rent, but it will be long time, long term things. And Amazon is already doing that when you commit to keep your instances for one year, two years, or three years, you pay one third or one half of, half of the price, right? So somewhere they are doing that by themselves. That's called reserve instances. But at the end, if you know where your customers are, you know if you are building a pure French-only business because it's linked to, I don't know, the French government and it can't apply anywhere uh, just by your, your servers on-premise in France, right? There is no need to, to be cloud, worldwide cloud, if there is no, no, absolutely no need for that. So that's why we absolutely want to do that because when you talk to strong CIOs, they said that they spent a lot of money investment, which is also the difference between um, uh, cloud, um, uh, public and, and private. In, in one case, that's OPEX. Um, in the other case, uh, that, that, that's investment, right? Which, which means that that's really uh, the, the CapEx and OPEX can make a difference on the balance sheet. So uh, at the end, uh, these CIOs um, really think uh, in terms of overall cost to decide what is the right path to go between uh, what they invest and what they need to re-invoice to the internal services, which means they, they see themselves as a provider of services, and you've been working in, in the telephony world, usually they split the, ex the expenses based on the number of seats or the, the volume of communication or whatever. They've got allocation rules on the Excel spreadsheet that end up the overall money of the company. So that should be the same for, for, for private cloud, which means that you've got a huge investment on a yearly basis, and after, who's going to pay for that? A cloud mechanism and an authorization mechanism like OneCloud can perfectly apply. And then we can make also even tell the people, if you run it on the private cloud, it's going to cost you that. If you run it on the internal private cloud and public, whatever, I don't know what I said further. We've got the two costs between public and private, and we can make the arbitrage and telling what was going to be the best cost for this kind of software, right? Mm, gotcha, gotcha. So who would be an ideal client for your company? Today we are young, which means that we cannot really afford to have a one or two year sales cycle, which means for the very large corporation when getting your first meeting with an executive takes three to four months. Uh, that's something we are doing, but we know that's not going to what's going to pay the salary and the bills over the next few months. So ideally today that's, um, someone who's, let's say, a minimum of 20 developers and spending a minimum of $100,000 per month. The mechanism can, can uh, uh, apply to anyone, but because we've got sales rep, we have to make demos, we have to help the customer for the implementation for a few hours at the beginning. That's much more a business model when we are running after what is called the low touch and high touch market rather than the no touch, which means soon, I think within one month and a half, you will be able to make some self onboarding and self trial of one cloud, but that's not the market I'm going after because we have to support plenty of things to be compliant with the customer ecosystem. Imagine somebody who's on Okta because he has to choose a, a single sign-on mechanism. 
usually when you are an Okta, it means that your developers are an Okta too, which means we have to be compliant with Okta. And you can't learn that if you've got a no-touch, which means a self-onboarding approach. Or if a CFO tells you, that's great what you do, I would like you to ingest my budget that I've got on NetSuite, and I would like you to provide me with the results of the daily, monthly, weekly cost back in NetSuite, uh, that's something we need to learn from the CFOs too. Which means that ideally, that's companies that are spending more than 100 a month, which means, let's say, one, more than 1 million per year. But I think only in the US, if I correctly recall some statistics, that's something like 12,000 companies in the US are spending more than 1 million per year on uh, AWS, if I recall the, the statistics. So the market at the beginning, it, is pretty amazing. Um, and why more than 20 developers? Because somewhere what I fix is the same thing that on a startup. On a startup, when you are, let's say, four or five, everybody's using the CEO credit card when you've got to buy something. Because everybody knows each other and they know that when they, have buy some, when they bought something at $10 to buy whatever was needed for whatever software, a new seat of Salesforce or whatever, they are going to, to, to print or to email the invoice to, to, to the accounting team, which is usually one person, and everything is okay. When you reach the less than a little bit more than five to ten people, what did work before, which is always the same credit card of the CEO, no longer work. At the end of the month, the accountant say, Hey, I've got these three bills, I don't know who has been spending that. That's not the people getting not no longer honest. That's just a question like I recall 20 years ago. There was a statistic 20, 20 years ago, a statistic telling that when you are more than seven, below seven, if a fax, that's why it was 20 years ago, if a fax arrives, if you are less than seven in a team, you, your, the fax always land on your office, on the office of the person. When you are more than seven, the fax says, stays on the fax machine. <laughs> that's like seven seems to be the threshold <laughs> where you need some help to get organized. So that's the same for the credit card, which means that uh, if you need something, a team of four or five, uh, nobody complains, and that's easier. When you reach 15, 20, honestly, you will have less credit card, you will have some bus, you will have an authorization, even if it's a simple email. That's the same for the cloud. If you are less than 20, it depends on your personal organization skills, but if you are less than 20, that's not so messy because the bill is very, very important. Everybody look at the bill when you want to run a new instance, you raise the hand because you are all in the same room. Hey, does somebody have an instance that he launched yesterday that I could reuse or something like that? When you are more than 20, you need an organization, you've got several projects, you've got several boss, and you need something that makes you get organized rather than dreaming is going to self-organize. So ideally, more than 20, more than 1 million. Gotcha. Eric, this is all very fascinating uh, technology, and uh, I love what uh, what you've built here with One Cloud. Thank you. Tell me, how did you get started in all this? How did you start get started in this career and and uh, your company? Uh, I start in, in my personal story. I spent uh, three years of my life uh, in a company which is called Thales, which is the, the big French. Uh, company, um, equivalent, I would say, Rithiel in the US. So, you know, military grade, uh, doing plenty of very interesting things. I was a young engineer. Um, and then one day I realized that up to the boss of Teleth, there were 16 levels of workshop, right? <laughs> so, 
which means I had no chance in my life to even shake his hand. So <laughs> I become a fanatic of young companies and grow <laughs> young companies. So that's how I become much more an entrepreneur and I created my first company. Uh, my biggest company has been up to a little bit more than 120 people. Um, but um, so I, I really decided that I prefer to make, to, to grow things, to create. And after I was, I had one key issue, which is the one of any entrepreneur, what is the real great idea? Because one of the big problem of the entrepreneur is that extremely, they've got such an optimism to fight against everything on a daily basis mm -hmm. that uh, they all bought when they became entrepreneur, a pair of pink glasses. To be sure, they can wear these everything, every time something is going wrong. So an entrepreneur is very efficient, is wearing pink glasses, and one of the problems is that he can convince himself that a stupid idea can be really a great idea. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. So the issue is really to find the right idea and challenging people. That's why I went to my 50 different CFOs before to say, hey, I've been seeing that in the cloud by helping large company. Do you feel the same? And that's why they told me, yes, the cost is one issue, but the biggest issue is the, the, the fact that costs are unpredictable. And then you cross-check that. And after you need to find the team and be sure you can hire or convince um, your peers or not your peers, your colleagues, that uh, or you can be sure that your colleagues are smart enough in your area. That's tough to, to, to judge if somebody is smart, but if they are smart in their area to build the right thing and that it's not going to take a century, right? So somewhere when you build something, that find the pain. You know, a lot of people have got headaches, so that's a real pain. Do I know a team that can build a painkiller? And the last question is when my painkiller is done, is it $1,000 per pill? Then my market is much smaller. Or is it a decent price? And can I also get my first pill in the field between over the next few, few, few years? Or is it going to take one century, right? And if you've got a real pain, a real team that can solve your issue and that you can motivate, and at the end, you've got a product that really fix what was said to the right price on the right market, I think you've got a nice story. And most of the... You just a little bit add a little bit of chance on the top of that, um, and, yeah, and that, yeah. that that may be, that may do the trick. Awesome. Now, Eric, as you were building your career, what were some of the challenges that you experienced, and how did you get through it? Uh, the challenge, I think, uh, usually I, I I trust people and I trust the future, so that's not really a challenge. The biggest challenge is perhaps to align. Uh, the stars between what financial needs you have, not personally, but for the company, and the timeline when you can get these, and the opportunity to get the right people. Because you can find it's a, a, an outstanding um, data scientist, it's going to cost you a lot, but you are at the wrong time, and then um, you do not have the money to hire him or her, and then you are going to delay what you are dreaming to do by something. So being able to align these three paths of money, resources, and timeline, something which is not easy at all. After jumping in other countries, finding the visa, it's always there plenty of detail that, that you have to do, but honestly, that's easy to fix. But being, that's why perhaps I said I need a little bit of luck sometimes, being able to re really be, have, have the right alignment to have the right resource, the right money, and the right timeline is something that's 
you can't really build. You can build plenty of things. You have, have process for plenty of things. You cannot always have process of this strange alignment. Mm, yeah, I could totally relate to that because, you know, as a business owner, there's so many different moving parts that have to all yeah. come together at the same time. Absolutely. But you discover plenty of amazing people. And I, I think the beauty of being an entrepreneur is a very solo job, even if you are surrounded by plenty of people. But at the end, you know, as, an, as a boss, as the boss of a, of a, of an, of a company, uh, at least a small company, you need to share every success because that thanks to the team, but you need to be in charge of any failure yourself. So it's always a shared success and it's always your failure, which from a moral standpoint needs to be a little bit strong, have the right personal behavior in terms of you know, meditation, family. I'm very lucky to have a great family and, and being pretty quiet, but, but at the end that can be tough. But if you can balance that with a great personal life, that helps. Yeah, that is, that is great advice. So, Eric, what keeps you motivated? To build a thing that works and to do that with a team that I like and who's happy. There is, uh, I love a sailboat. Somewhere I, am, I, am, I feel that I am the skipper, not the captain who stays in, you know, for large boats, not the captain who just goes to the restaurant during cruise and doesn't even know where the engine is. Um, they're much more the skipper, you know, the, 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 the pilot. Um, and in, in a sailboat of five, ten people, you know, you, you, you're an expert of that. You know there is a storm coming. You know it's going to be weird. You know that half of the guy on board have never sailed before. You know that if it's really going to be hard, they're going to suffer. But I like that, and I like to, at the end, bring these people at the right port, being happy of the cruise and having built something together that we can discuss uh, uh, a lot. So for me, um, a company is always like a sort of sailboat for that. Great. Where do you see yourself taking this career, let's say, in five years from now? Um, I try on a side business, which is not really a business, that's much more a pro bono business. I try to um, grow uh, one cloud as fast as possible because I think the cloud is growing 100%, let's say 70 officially, uh, but close to 100% per year. I need to grow double that. And then I will have a huge business model and I will have something that works very well. And behind this one cloud story, inside one cloud, I've got additional story that I'm not going to, to disclose, disclose now, but that there is more than what I said, which means that we can really do uh, much more but it's too early to disclose that and I don't want to fight with all my competitors or whatever. <laughs> um, so that, that the story of OneCloud is to grow really fast. Then you can fill your growth by new development and customer being so happy to, to share the money they no longer lose. That's really a great engine because you always have money for that. On the other end, in five years from now, from a more personal standpoint, I try to help a lot of companies uh, coming from uh, abroad in Europe and to help them to, to create their business in the Valley. Because I think that it's, re it's really great to be from your country. There are plenty of resources, but sometimes if you are in the right place in terms of ecosystem, if you, even if you keep strong ties with your countries, for example, our research and development, our engineers, you know, several of them are, are in France and I, and I like that. But um, I try to help also companies to come here and build 
part of their business here to have, um, you know, the, the, the world is round. It has been discovered a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that you can't do your business. You can in the US because that's a large country. You can in, Ch in China because that's a large country. When you're in a small country because Europe is not a, a complex country yet, you need to expand and you need to understand the world is round. So when I can help entrepreneurs to come here, discover if this world is done for them, that's part in five years from now, I would like to spend, if one cloud becomes big, I still would like to keep five years from now this openness to help youngest company come here, young entrepreneur come here and discover how fun it is to, to, to conquer the world exactly like people that came here to conquer the US, right? Really nice. You know, being a successful entrepreneur and a successful person, it's all about serving others and paying it forward. Absolutely. And uh, money comes as a gift, not as a goal for me. That's a beautiful attitude. Absolutely. I, I truly agree with that. If you could turn back the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you do? For one cloud? Nope. No, as of today, um, no, as of today, I would, I would do exactly the same. I think if we took enough, um, we are quiet, calm enough to take the right decision. From an architectural standpoint on the software, the decision we made seems to be still true. We have made plenty of changes, but the core is still the same. Um, and the way we address the market, I've not seen in 12 months something, somebody doing something similar yet, which gives me at least 12 months of advance. And uh, so, no, I, uh, honestly, I, I, I would do the same. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> that's my pink glasses, right? That's the pink glasses, yes. Eric, I know you're a busy guy. I'm going to let you go. Um, just before we do, how do people connect with you? Um, I love people, which means that they are all welcome to connect either uh, LinkedIn or email. I try to answer to all uh, requests on LinkedIn and email. And I, I tweet a little bit, but not a lot because it's very time consuming uh, for my kind of role. So when I tweet, it's much more about news from my company. And um, I do prefer real friends, that's Facebook friends. Uh, which means I'm not active on Facebook either. So Twitter and Facebook, and I, I fully respect people uh, and, and some people uh, primarily in, uh, in jobs where they need to communicate. It's an outstanding tool, right? Um, but uh, from both business and personal, personal, and, and there is nothing better for me than a, a drink with some friends at home or, or, or to discuss and rebuild uh, the world or make it a little bit more round if you need. Um, and for the business standpoint, I try to answer to all emails, to all uh, LinkedIn requests, not, uh, not the spammy one, but uh, because I think, the, again, the, you need a little bit of luck and, and some uh, foreign encounters can really be at the right path at the right uh, time and that should be bad to turn back. Yeah, the worst case, it was not interesting and... Uh, and you lost half an hour in discussing with somebody. We've got, uh, what, um, let's say you lost 15 minutes and we've got 96 times 15 minutes per day. So you can sacrifice a couple of them with no real big impact, right? 
and that's how and that's how you grow your your community yeah yeah and, and, and you still have plenty of great people great so i'm going to put your email address and your linkedin uh, address yes. in the show notes so people can click on that and can and again i will make my best to answer great and we have time for one question from the audience Um, So Lisa Samataro, who's a founding partner of Keller Williams in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Uh, So she asks, what redundancies are built into your uh, storage system to protect against hacking? Uh, That's an excellent one. And that's fun because that's a question that um, a key customer uh, was asking yesterday. Uh, He's already a customer, but... uh, he had a big issue in terms of hacking. And um, the best answer on that is that rather than having your own system that sits on the top of the cloud of your customer, is to split your system in two pieces, have just the remote, you know, I don't know if I've worked in the nuclear facilities in the past, a long time ago, where you wanted to, to do something with the plutonium and uranium, either you hired somebody and didn't tell him the truth, <laughs> very unfair, <laughs> or you got a huge wall of glass with, um, how is it called, uh, the, what was this metal, no, a, a metal that protects against the radiation inside, I don't remember. Yeah. American. Yeah. And then you've got a remote and you do everything inside. What, how we started with, with OneCloud is that we had our, our system sitting on the top of the client configuration and monitoring, but also driving the client configuration. And then we decided to cut it in two pieces. We built all the, the, the decision engine um, as a microservices that can run anywhere. And now we all the part that is linked to keys, that is linked to the protection of the customer, is now inside their own cloud. Which means that the remote just sent by specific signature that, are, uh, uh, that you can't decipher and that has just signature, gives order. And these orders are de- deciphered, but also built and, and executed on the fly inside the customer ecosystem. So if the customer is happy with its own security, we can't do that because we are behind, we are in his world and we, we are no longer, we are just a remote. And you can do that just if you build what is called microservices, which means that every little piece of your software needs to be able to run independently, which means that you can then run a piece and you just agree on a protocol and on this protocol, because it's just order, you no longer pass keywords or things like that. And then that the best way it doesn't avoid you to be hacked, but it puts you at the same level that the cast, what the customer already have in place. So you are not an additional point of risk. You are just, you respect your, sec- your customer security. And if he encrypts everything within his domain, you're encrypted too. And if he, uh, that, that's a, a very simple explanation. That's a little bit more complex than that. But the best way is to have all the decision engine, all the things that can take a decision, which are in the customer Location, I would have said, uh, I would have said in the past, which is on-premise, even if now it's in a cloud premise. And I think you ca- can trust the cloud provider to, to be pretty st- strong when it goes to security, right? 
the security usually on, on the cloud always come from a human issue that has been sharing keys and things like that. They've got hundreds of sysadmin that try to protect everything. I think they are strong, but it's no longer my fault or, or my risk. I just comply with what they do. So that's a, a rapid explanation of a, a part of the technology for that. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Thank you so much. So uh, Eric, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, yes, uh, there is one. If you can be an entrepreneur, uh, just do it. And an entrepreneur is a little bit like a wolf, which means that when he hunts, he hunts by groups. <laughs> Meet other entrepreneurs, discover by discussing to other entrepreneurs if it's really what you want to be, because I, that's, I think not every, everyone can do that because it's a crazy job. Sometimes you, you lose money, sometimes you, you are not paid for one year, sometimes your family hates you because you're not here. Uh, but that's one of the most fancy and the most fun job on earth. So if you want to do it, talk with entrepreneurs and then by the example of plenty of other people, you will certainly build something amazing that will make your life uh, really great. That is great, great piece of advice. And that's why I love what it is that I do because I get to talk to so many high level entrepreneurs like yourself and I get great advice. So <laughs> this is great. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your time and, and your wisdom. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much. That's a great idea. And I love your, your video blog. Thank you so much. All the best to the future. Bye-bye.